Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Hello, this is Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. I'm so delighted that you've joined me for this episode of The Leader's Notebook because I have a very special guest. I don't do a lot of interviews on The Leader's Notebook. Mostly I teach, but uh, I just try to select those few people that I think really have something important to say to us all and uh, people that I appreciate and whose life and leadership has, has impacted me. One of those is Susie Larson. Susie is a popular radio talk show host. I have been on her program multiple times. Uh, She's uh, sought out as a speaker nationwide, and she is an author of 16 books. Uh, Being an author of multiple books myself, I can tell you that didn't happen easily. Um, She is an interesting person, a background in the fitness field, a great leader, uh, twice uh, one of the top 10 finalists for the John Maxwell Transformational Leadership Award, an interesting person. She and her husband live near Minneapolis, Minnesota, and she is here with us today on The Leader's Notebook. Susie, welcome to The Leader's Notebook. Dr. Rutland, it's always an honor and a pleasure when I get to talk with you. This is a different uh, experience being on the other side of the microphone, but thanks so much for having me. Good. Yeah, I'm going to try to make this interview just as difficult for you as possible so you can feel <laughs> what it feels like. <laughs> no, this I guess is, you owe me that, right? <laughs> no, no, no. You always do such a good interview yourself that it's intimidating to me. So I hope I can do as, as somewhat as good an interview as you do. So first of all, mm-hmm. let's start with this. Uh, I'm going to come back to your book. I want to talk to you about it, but I just want to say to you this is a very good and very unique uh, daily reading book. It, it It's interesting. I don't really want to call it a devotional for some reason. Uh, I guess it is. It's in that format, but it's really a daily teaching, isn't it? It's it's Yeah, different. you know, a lot of people are calling it a mini commentary. Mm. I, take, I go from Genesis to Revelation looking for evidences and opportunities uh, for, for to flourish in the things of God. And Evidences are, you know, when we see them do it right in Scripture, and opportunities are when they mess up, we can learn from their choices and their example um, on on what to do, what not to do. God is so committed to our wholeness, our flourishing, and our and our purpose on the earth. And so, yep, I went from Genesis to Revelation, and uh, it was a labor of love. And not gonna lie, I wanted to quit in Leviticus a couple times because mm. it was, you know, most books are about fifty thousand words, and this was about one hundred and eighteen thousand words. So for me. You know, it was, I just had to keep on keeping on. But once I was done, I was so grateful that I persevered because I really do love how it's turned out. We're hearing a lot of great things. So praise well, God for that. Well, it's terrific. And uh, and I, I'm glad to hear that. I, I was searching for the terminology for it myself. I like that, a daily commentary, because it goes beyond the sort of regular or usual uh, daily devotional with the you know some kind of a cute little story or something and the, which none of those are bad I don't mean they're bad but this uh, this is at a different altitude and velocity and I really mm. appreciate it very much. Okay, we're going to come back to the book. I want to talk to you about it some more, spe- particularly about some specific entries 
in it. But let's begin, first of all, let's talk about Susie Larson. So um, you live in Minnesota now. Are you a Minnesotan from life? And where's your background? Tell me a little something about what got Susie Larson started. All right. Well, born and raised here. And, you know, Minnesota is a cold state to live in. And I thrive in humid, hot heat. So I'm not sure what I'm doing here. <laughs> but uh, we both have big families here. Uh, we've got, you know, great jobs and a great community here. But to tell you the truth, when winter comes, it's difficult. And I do have a dream someday to be able to work remotely in a warmer climate because these winters get pretty long. But it's just where our family is. We've both got huge families. and Come, so, da- really come down to Georgia. Come to Georgia. This I think is, I This will. is where God lives. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to be where God lives. So yeah. I'm going to. I mean, I'm a, I'm a cyclist and I ride in humid weather. It's my happy, happy place. So, mm. um, yeah, I may just have to take you up on that. So, but, you know, I was born and raised in a large family in a particular denomination where I knew God was real, but I did not know Jesus was accessible. So there was no sense of personal relationship with Jesus. Mm. I was fifth of seven kids, and uh, I was just one of those um, rule followers, you know. I had, you know, I just was sweet, is what my parents said. And then I experienced uh, a trauma at age nine and another trauma at age 10. Uh, at age nine, it was around the time my mom had to get a job to help put food on the table. And um, we had a big house and, uh, you know, lots of kids coming and going, just with seven kids and kind of Grand Central Station. And there was a time when my older brothers started to hang with some creepy guys. And uh, one day I came home from school. My mom wasn't home yet. And I went down into the laundry room to get a change of clothes and I was going to go up in my bedroom and shut the door and read a book until my mom got home. And long story short, I was digging in the dryer, looking for my sweatshirt and the door behind me closed. And I turned around to find several of my brother's friends glaring at me. No brother was there. I mean, again, it's just not unusual because just everybody came and went to our house. But this particular moment, before I knew what happened, they had me pinned on the floor and um, I... I was so confused about what had happened there that I didn't tell anybody just oh. because I didn't know whose fault that was. And I began to have just nightmares and a lot of fear and different things. And then, uh, and there was a couple other times it's hard for me to talk about, but uh, where they found me alone. And uh, so I was 10 years old. I was coming home from school and I saw their bikes out in front and these kids had gotten into porn and smoked pot and different things. So you can imagine you know, where they were at. But anyway, I saw their bikes out in front. And I remember, this just shows you how confused I was as a little 10-year-old girl, saying out loud, as I'm coming across the baseball field, seeing those bikes in front of our house, I said, I don't care if God made me this way. Those boys will never touch me again. And literally out of the blue in my kind of peripheral, I hear, get her. And there were a different group of boys hanging out in the baseball dugout. And before I knew it hit me, they ran me down and beat me bad and it was it's hard to even believe but it, i mean they knocked me to the ground they were laughing wildly as they punched me in the face kicked me in the stomach and mm. i'm curled in a ball screaming and crying and pulled thistles of hair out and you know knowing in my adult mind now they were high on something because they had this crazed look and they were laughing so hard and i'm screaming and crying and they, i mean you know we, we just get so desensitized when you see violence on tv but Anytime someone takes a fist to the face, it's traumatic. I don't yes. care what you say. Yes. I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. And when they finished and they walked away laughing, my hair was snarled. I had a fat lip. I had scratches on my face. And I was so utterly traumatized. And 
I heard in my ear, not audibly, but it might as well have been, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. Oh, and goodness. so that's when a spirit of fear got into me. And, and Dr. Rutland, when I speak on this uh, to women at women's conferences, I always say that the devil sees your potential long before you ever do. You know, he you yes. just got to look at where he goes after you in your childhood and you just turn it around because his threat to you is very connected to your threat to him. And uh, for me, I mean, I was just a, a canyon of insecurity, of self-hatred, of fear. You know, it just destroyed me. And so, but once I got into, you know, middle school, I, I was athletic. I could sing. I just became an overperformer because, you know, my, my family knew I was beat up. They didn't know about the sexual abuse, but you know, I felt like I had this deep, dark secret to overcome. So I just sort of misused my time, treasure and talents to prove something that Jesus had already proven. I just didn't know it. And uh, um, that's a that's a very common response, don't you think? Either yeah. to either to think I'm nothing. And so I don't even try anything. I'm, I just turn my life into a failure or to become an overachiever to to prove that I am something despite these things. Right. That's that's yeah. that's a very common approach. Wow, but it can and, make know, for a very driven little girl, I suspect. Indeed, it can. And, you know, I, I'm all about purpose, you know, at, at this, you know, and what gets me out of bed every day is getting people ready to meet Jesus, whether you don't know him, I want you to know him. But if you know him, I want you to live like there is a day of account for the right reasons. Because, the, you know, when we are trying to prove something, Jesus has already proven it's a colossal waste of our gifts and our time. And I just don't think the fruit is there when you're driven by a lie, you know. Um, so I, if you jump ahead, I was, uh, so, you know, high performing middle school girl and, uh, eighth grade, I was going out the door to go to a sleepover and I had, I had a really great relationship with my mom and I felt bad, like I was keeping a secret from her, but I really didn't know what the secret was. You know, I mean, I remember hearing stories of, you know, women who got raped and hearing a comment, you know, I wonder if she was wearing a halter top or, you know, I hear stuff like that and yes. think, this had to have been my fault, you know? So mm. I just was terrified. And my dad was the mayor of our local city. So there was a lot of pressure on, you know, appearance. So I just, I didn't know what to do with that. But anyway, I was walking out of the house one day to go to this slumber party. And my mom said, just teasingly, now don't go sneak out and meet boys. And I stopped in my tracks and I was so close to turning around and saying, mom, that's, that's the last thing I would ever, ever do. And I was just ready to spill. Mm. And I, did, I thought the risk is too great. I love her so much and she may see me different. And, I, and so I just said, I, you know, I won't. So I go to the sleepover and once you know, about 10 p.m., these girls all decide to sneak out and meet boys. And so I, I joke that I stayed back with the two girls who smoked because I just thought that was <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't smoke with them. But anyway, they were even in even tobacco is better than a boy. Right. <laughs> exactly. At that point. Absolutely. So these girls uh, were. um joking and making fun of they went to the local catholic school and they were making fun of the nun who'd been teaching them out of the book of revelation and they were like oh as if that's going to happen and they were talking about things i had never heard before and so i went out on the picnic table this is the holy spirit drawing me i mean nobody wow. told me about wow. jesus i went out and to the picnic table i felt the presence of god and i looked up and said i know you're real but I've never heard that stuff before. So if there's more to you than what I know, will you reveal yourself to me? I'm going to start reading the Bible. And I literally said this. I think it's boring. But if you can snaz it up, we got a deal. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I picture God rubbing his temples going, you know, in on a technicality. Because, you know, I just I didn't know why I was praying. But I did start to read the Bible. 
and I would weep and weep over the Gospels. And I, I knew I was the worst of sinners, but I understood salvation. And so I literally started to read the Bible under my bedsheet at night with the flashlight. I couldn't devour it fast enough. And uh, so that is how I came to Christ um, in my early years. That's a remarkable story. Uh, you can feel it, the pain of it and the the humiliation of it, but at the same time, the prevenient grace of God to reach out through such an unusual instrument, these rebellious girls telling you secondhand about what Catholic nuns told them that they didn't even believe, but somehow it resonated in your little spirit and and you connected with God through it. That's that's a huge story, Susie. I know. I, I marvel at the goodness of God and mm. In his grace. And, and I will be honest with you, you know, I, so uh, just a particular, again, denomination and, and church I attended, they don't even, they want you even reading the Bible on your own. So I was, I felt I was such a rule follower, but I couldn't not read the Bible. You know, they said, well, that's up for us for interpretation. And, but I just, I, I just read it whenever I could get it. And I found out about my Bible study in the next community and I was sneaking to it and lying about it. <laughs> I was a total rebel, but it was, you know, what you jump ahead as a, as a young mom, I met my hubby who was raised in the Christian home. And, uh, during the third pregnancy, I was on bed rest for six months because of high risk pregnancy. And the doctors let me get up just to test the waters one day. And I literally, I met my old college roommates. We went for a walk. It was a fall day. I was back in bed contracting that night. And within two weeks of that outing, my face started to go numb. I started to get a crawling neurological kind of suction feeling on my face. My arms were going numb. My memory was starting to do funny things and took a year later, long story short, I was unknowingly bit by the deer tick during my one day out. And there, there again was the voice. I can get to you anytime, anywhere. And God will never stop me. And so my early years of ministry really were, you know, and I believe this to be so true that many Christians may know that they're saved, but they don't know they're loved. And God used this attack against my life for, to clear the playing field. I couldn't produce. I couldn't perform. I was sick. I was costing our family all kinds of money. But in that place is where he said, you're not what you do. You're someone I love. And you got to get this, you know. And he really, and it, you know, the health battle, as you know, it's been a, a long-term challenge for me. But I'm also very health conscious, so I fight hard. And uh, But God has used that to teach me how to not only contend for the promises, but to live from that place of love. And I don't know if you've ever heard the analogy where they talk about, you know, you have a, a shepherd and a sheep. And you've got one that keeps wandering away and gets itself caught in a thicket, and it breaks its leg. And so the shepherd puts a little sheep around his neck, and he carries it especially close. And this wandering sheep, eventually, its little heart starts to beat in rhythm with the shepherd mm. and develops such an intimacy with the shepherd that instead of wandering, it sticks, it stays on the shepherd's heels. It stays so close. Yeah. When we think of wandering oftentimes just in sinful you know, rebellion, but I think we wander into self-striving and you know, it looks better, but it's still a, a work of the flesh. And I would have been that person because I'm a performer. I'm task oriented. I'm disciplined. I'm focused. And I feel like the sickness and the hardship uh, broke something, the striving in me, because I was sick. I was sick as a mom with three little boys who we were going broke. And I developed such an intimacy with God that that's all I care about. But out of that place, I know I'm going to give account one day. I know he has things for me to do. And I want to mobilize as many people as I can, but it's coming out of, like, I have a low tolerance 
for being away from the sense of God's presence. I've developed such a thirst and hunger for it, but that's everything to me. And out of that place is where I serve or lead or whatever else I do. Uh, so it, I, I come by it uh, through hardship and some suffering, but uh, he's he's my greatest joy. That's wonderful. What, what a great thing and what a what a, a means God uses to use something like this. These these things of uh, childhood abuse and then this terrible sickness, I guess it's Lyme disease or whatever it was, is so awful. And yet somehow God accesses that and pulls you closer to him so that your your appetite for his presence becomes uh, the prevailing reality really of your life. Isn't it, Susie? Indeed. Amen. Amen. Wow. I can see now why you would title this new book Prevail. Uh, prevail can mean to, to overcome, to win. I, I will prevail in a, in a wrestling match or prevail in a boxing match or something. I, I, I can see now where the, where the word prevail would have a tremendous meaning to Susie Larson personally. Yeah, you know, the, the two uh, descriptions, the two definitions, I should say, one is to be the last one standing and the other is to prove more powerful than your opponent. And the Lord has told me over and over again, I am going to take what that enemy meant for evil against you and I will turn it for good and you will be the last one standing because, you know, it hasn't been an easy journey, um, but boy, he's been so faithful. And, you know, people will say when they read my books or listen to the show that there's this common kind of fight language in the things I write and things I say, but it's just things haven't come easy for me. I've had to contend for the promises of God. And I, I would say my life script is Psalm 18, where, you know, the picture of, of, you know, I was confronted in my day of disaster by an enemy who was too powerful me for, for me, and God reached down from on high, and he rescued me at a moment when I was weakness, weakest, but then he put me in a stable place. Then he breathed life back into me, you know, and then because he delighted in me, and then he starts establishing me and he trains my hands for battle so I can bend a bow of bronze. And then it says, you know, he sets me on high places and gives me feet like a feet of a deer. And as an athlete, what that speaks to is agility, spiritual agility, where you can walk on uneven terrain and still stay on your feet. Mm, and beautiful. then it says, I chase my enemies down until they were destroyed. And, uh, so there's this role reversal <laughs> that happens in the middle of the battle. This has been my life story, my life script. So you will see that kind of contending language in what I write. It's just how it, God has been with me and the way my journey has gone. It's really true, isn't it, that uh, you can't separate everything we write, whether it's fiction or nonfiction or whatever. Everything one writes is to a certain extent autobiographical. You you you, yeah. you can't even keep who you are and your journey out of the journey. You could write a novel about somebody who lived in in Beijing, and I suspect something of Susie Larson's going to come through that. I've certainly found it in my writing. Indeed, absolutely true. Well, let's talk about your writing for a minute. Um, this your sixteenth book is this uh, daily reading, this uh, this daily commentary. I suppose it is a devotional in the sense of that. But I just want to say to the listeners, this is not what you're thinking. Um, it, it's sometimes daily devotionals sound like Hallmark cards, and mm -hmm. uh, and this is this is not that. When you started to write this, did you have in mind from the very beginning this 360 day journey through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation? Was that the the concept, or did that evolve? As you, as you started writing? 
You know, what's so interesting is, I don't even know if the people at Barnes & Noble remember this, but they approached my publisher because they liked my previous book, Fully Alive, which is all about inner healing. The subtitle is Learning to Flourish, Mind, Body, and Spirit. Because I had a massive health relapse six years ago that I was fighting my way back from. And I just became kind of an expert, as much a layperson's expert on brain science and all these different things because I learned from this relapse what happens in our soul happens in ourselves. And so that whole book is on just inner healing and, you know, addressing fear, anxiety, and how it impacts us physiologically. Well, they like that book so much. I'm not sure if they even remember this, but they approached my publisher and said, could Susie ever write a 365-day devotional looking for uh, opportunities to flourish in scripture? And so that that idea came from them. I prayed about it and prayed about it and really felt like I should do it. But I love that you don't see it as a devo. I almost wish I wish we would have thought even marketing it that way because I'm not a fluff person mm. and I don't I don't like devos that have cute little stories just because maybe I'm just too task oriented. I want to get to the point. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I actually really appreciate what you're saying. That means a lot because I wanted it to be, you know, these short readings. I wanted them to pack a punch and not waste anybody's time. So that's kind of was my mindset. Well, they do pack a punch. Um, let's, uh, let me just zero in on three specific ones. This is from day 154. And um, so to the listener, uh, let me say she she goes straight through scripture, so um, you have you have an orderliness of it that's predetermined by the order of scripture. So you do have some of that, and then so she may stay in one book for twenty days or whatever, but it moves forward through the thing. So here's one from Proverbs sixteen nine, uh, and you you quote the verse: "We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps." Now, I've been interviewed about my books often enough to know that people will say, what about what you wrote on page 180? And I want to say, <laughs> okay, that was six months ago, and I have no yeah. clue. <laughs> but, <laughs> but this one uh, is really, um, it's, it is certainly a life lesson, but it's a leadership lesson. And the title you put on it over the Proverbs thing is, Make Your Plans, But Stay Flexible. Uh, I like this one uh, two-word sen- two sentence near the end of the reading. Be interruptible. I like that. Tell tell us about mm. being interruptible. Well, this one, I have it up, and I so appreciate that, Mark. Thank you so much for that. But when I finally mustered up the courage to write my, my, my book, my first book, I had, you know, these kind of war, agenda wars within me, you know, obedience and procrastination. I was afraid of fear, failure and all that kind of thing. And God had confirmed to me over and over again, I needed to, to write. And so one day my six foot three husband hovered over me and he said, it's time to get writing. You're out of excuses. God's made it clear. You get going. Mm. So the next morning I stared at a blank screen and I determined I was going to obey, but nothing was coming to me. And then I had a little whisper in my spirit, your neighbor needs you. And being the great moment of faith I, I was at the time, I'm like, but didn't you just tell me to write this book? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I heard it loud and clear. Your neighbor needs you. So I went over, knocked on the door, and she opened up with tears in her eyes. And then all she said was, how do you know? How'd you know? And so I stepped in, and we had time, and I prayed with her. And then I was heading back to my house. The Lord just reminded me that life with him would always require flexibility and a sensitive sensitivity to his spirit. And it was interesting because I sat down then and the words just flowed. And so, yeah, the word, the uh, 
the kind of the point in that one I write here is life with God is life indeed. Ask for some God-given dreams, make your plans, stay flexible, be interruptible. Jesus will lead you on a fruitful faith adventure of a lifetime. And I think sometimes, I think oftentimes, we just, we, we have this aversion to dependence. And yet my hubby says, our dependence on God is our superpower. But we, you know, give us the plan, give me the outline, and I'll, I got this. I got this. I'll take it from here. But dependence is our superpower. And I think it, we miss so much on the adventure and the sweetness of fellowship with the Holy Spirit when we just want to go make it a straight line from point A to point B, but it just almost never is that way. So, uh, yeah, I love that you love that one. I'm grateful. One of the uh, defining realities of Jesus' earthly ministry was, to use your word, inter- interruptibility. He, he, mm-hmm. It seems like the whole story of Jesus is almost one interruption after another. He's on his way to the house of Jairus when somebody else interrupts him. He's on his way to Jerusalem when he meets this person or that person. It's, and it seems to me that Jesus certainly is intentional. He knows where he's going. He's headed in a certain direction. But he is open to those very human, need-driven interruptions and, and and I think it's a I think it's a life pattern and a leadership pattern. You can you can come up with ideas of things you want to do, but the phone can ring and every the next phone call can change your life. Amen, amen. I, me- I remember interviewing um, author Pastor Jeff Mannion many years ago, and he, he I think his book is titled something like Dream Big, Start Small, something like that. But he said, you know, it's one thing to be at it, whatever it is, for 25 years, you know, in your marriage or be a, you know, a CFO or be an editor or whatever, teacher. It's a whole other thing to keep your heart in it for that long and to stay fresh in it. And I just think you, you can't if, we, if we're all about us, all about our agenda, if we forget about people and it's about accomplishment and tasks and all of that. Now, you know, it's like without a plan, you're, you know, not much happens. I mean, but when you have a plan and then you let the Lord determine the steps, there's this potent, powerful thing that happens because when, when you're walking with Christ and he says, turn here, stop here, pray for that person, give that person some money. I find myself, I am so much more productive when I'm in that flow of the Holy Spirit, where I'm interruptible. And then I sit down to do what I need to do that the the provision comes from God. And I, I don't want to live any other way, but I'm so capable of getting into my tasks. But when you do that, you can't keep your heart in it because we can, our flesh only allows us to go so far, you know? My guest today is Susie Larson here on The Leader's Notebook. Her new book, Prevail, let me read you the subtitle, 365 Days of Enduring Strength from God's Word. It really is a tour de force a 365-day journey from Genesis to Revelation. I recommend it highly. It's on Bethany House as the publisher. And uh, Susie, I suppose they can get your book all of the usual ways, right, on Amazon and everywhere mm-hmm. else. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I do want to urge you, I know you probably um, have these available on eBooks and all that, but I want to urge people get a hardbound copy of this book and actually turn the pages and read it in a real book. I think keeping that book near you for a year, this book has the capacity to change every day, day after day. And at the end of it, I think you're going to look back and say this uh, now because I'm going to prevail. I I really believe that. I want to, before we 
let this go. I want to come back to something at the, about the book, a specific thing. As I said, this, is, this book is not really um, squishy. It's not, it's, there are pages, uh, Susie, where you just slap the living fire out of the reader. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if all you, kinds of love though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, wow. You know, because so often it's, you know, uh, flowers and, you know, devotional books are often so, um, I don't, uh, how to say the word, maybe eff- effeminate. and Fluffy. And, Fluffy, yeah, and this book is really powerful. So let me come to one here. Um, it it's right near the end of the book, uh, day three hundred and sixty three, uh, and and this is the passage of scripture. Each one of these, uh, I want you to all of you that are listening. Each one of these is scripture based. It comes from a specific scripture. It leads you right straight through. You you will go right through the Bible if you'll read the whole passage. Uh, so at the bottom, so she'll ha- quote one verse at the top. Then at the bottom, it says, learn, read Revelation 20, the whole chapter. And then uh, a key to flourish, think eternity, today, tomorrow, the next day. And then she has a quick prayer to guide you, at, get your prayer started at the beginning. But between the opening verse of Scripture and those things at the bottom, she, her commentary is, uh, is strong. And this commentary is particularly strong. The title is The Books Will Open, and she, uh, she quotes from Revelation 20, verse 12, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And later on in the commentary itself, she says, no one is exempt from judgment day. Don't waste a minute of your life. Now, Susie, this is this is probably one of the hardest pages in the whole book. And I wonder if you would like to comment on it a little bit with regard to the people that are listening right now. Absolutely. It's something I have studied extensively. And I, it's kind of what I alluded to at the beginning of our conversation today, Dr. Rutland, about what gets me out of bed every day is that day of account. And so for the unbeliever who's rejected Christ, they will face the great white throne of judgment. And there are levels of punishment and there are levels of reward. And so those who rejected Christ, as I say, I think in this devotional, that the pedophile who rejected Christ will have more hell to pay than the guy who cheated on his taxes. But those who decided to reject the grace of Christ, there'll be a day of account and a cash in and they will It'll be a sobering and a terrible day. And so often, because we are saved, we think that there's not there's not going to be a sobering day ahead. But Scripture is very clear that there are some believers who live like practical atheists, and they barely escape through the flames. In other words, our sin won't be called to account. We go before the judgment seat of Christ, and it's called the mercy seat. It's the place where God hands out rewards. So it will be a great an amazing day in that you're going to be amazed at what God rewards. When Jesus says, you know, you give a cup of cold water in my name, I record it. I remember it. Anything that's prompted by our faith, hope, and love, I think we're just going to be amazed at what God rewards. But the thing is, as we talked at the beginning, when we are driven by self-ambition, trying to make a good name for ourselves, and we're building our kingdom, that stuff is going to burn up and will not last the flames. And scripture is just very clear 
that th- that there's going to be a sobering moment for some because they'll be lost. They're still saved. They're still loved, but they'll be lost. And our time here, how we live here echoes into eternity. It, it matters so much. And we don't do this so we get rewards because when you think about this, the reason you know, in fact, I'm trying to think of C.S. Lewis, a lot of these greats who've gone before us said, you know, Jesus was so bold about speaking about reward. The fact that he was, we shouldn't ignore what he had to say. In fact, if you want to read more about that, uh, Bruce Wilkinson has a little book called A Life God Reward. But when you think about how much Jesus talked about rewards, it mattered to him. So why did he care to say about talk about rewards. Well, I just really believe is because he's saying, if you tend to the things that I care about on the earth, anytime you feed the poor, you forgive that impossible person, you decide to hang in there in your marriage or whatever, every time that you take a step that costs you something because you love God and you're operating in faith, hope, and love, it's like God is, we're shouting to the world, this is what God is like. This is what God is like. That God is saying, I care so much about the law that they that they get a right representation of me. I care about the poor, the fatherless, the widow. I care about that single mom. And when you behave in a way that, that Jesus would behave, you're shouting to this world, this is what the Father is like. And he, it matters so much to him that he's saying, make no mistake, there will be reward. But what I think is so sobering is there are probably great ministries we know a lot about right now that, that were driven solely out of ambition. And I, and I think the way that you can kind of tell in your own heart as if you look at the two motivations of the Tower of Babel, the two motivations when they built that tower were to make our name famous and to protect our interests. And when you start to see self-ambition and territorialism among ministries, you can know they're not building God's kingdom. They're building theirs. And I, tr- I tremble in my boots when I bump up against that just because there is a day of account. But man, when we walk and live in the abiding life, you know, I mean, I, I interviewed uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, as most of you know, she was a quadriplegic at age 18. And shortly after she'd gotten out of the hospital and she's sitting in her wheelchair and she was just depressed and thinking, what kind of life am I going to have now as a quadriplegic, as a, you know, 18, 19 year old. And a friend came to visit and told her the verse about, remember a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And she said, something hit her so hard. She said, we've all heard a day is like a thousand years, but she said it dropped into her heart. A thousand years is like a day. You mean I could bear a thousand years worth of fruit in a single day by my prayers, by my intercession, by my kindness? She said all of heaven just opened up to her at that moment. And I want us to live this way, that God is such a rewarder of those who seek him, those who serve him, those who so generously. So act as if you have the wealthiest heavenly father and all the provision comes from him and go after the stuff that he cares about. Know he'll defend you. He'll vindicate you. He's got your back. But when we're so small-minded that we get threatened by someone else in ministry, we are not building his kingdom. I mean, Jesus himself said, pray for more workers. You know, don't be threatened by the few. The work exceeds the work workers right now. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So I even say, if you've got a tendency to be jealous of someone who's a little further along in the thing that you want to accomplish, pray for them. Because you really don't know what it costs them to get there. Have their back. Be a kingdom person and trust that there's more work than workers right now. And when we live with kingdom, you know, mindset, there's just no limit to what God will do in and through us. Praise God. Well, that's wonderful. I, I really appreciate you being with me today on the Leader's Notebook. This is, uh, 
This is Susie Larson I've been interviewing with or hearing from today with her new book, a powerful book, Prevail. I, I want to personally and professionally recommend it to you. Uh, and let me, let me just give you the last little tidbit from this book. This is so beautiful. Day 365. Jesus is coming soon. The book of Revelation, the 22nd chapter, verses 12 and 13. Look, I'm coming soon bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then Susie writes at the very end, at the end of her book, these are the last words that she adds into the commentary. Keep your faith alive. Keep your heart engaged. Live for the one who gave it all for you. The King is coming again. What a great way to end a book and what a great way to live a life. Susie, thank you so much for being with me today. This, this You shared so uh, openly about your childhood and so powerfully about your life view. It, it's, it's really been a blessing today, and I know it's a blessing to all those who listen to The Leader's Notebook. Thank you very much. It's always an honor to get to talk with you, Dr. Rutland. Thanks for having me today. Thank you very much. Until we meet again, this is Mark Rutland, and this is The Leader's Notebook. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.